Welcome to another edition of What the Cross Means to Me, devotional program. This is your host, Rob Holt, coming to you from the KKXX Studios, Life Radio, Chico 104.5. It is good to be with you as we contemplate fresh perspectives on the meaning of the cross. I am not a theologian, but I have been a photographer for over 30 years. If a picture tells a thousand words, then yes, I guess you could say I preach to the glory of our Creator by capturing and sharing what the Creator has created. My mission is to share the gospel through my imagery, the spoken word, and the written word. This program fulfills the spoken part, and the imagery utilized for this devotional are of a singular cross on a lonely hill shot over a two-year period. The written word for this program is from a book I published about that cross collection. It matches 30 cross images with 30 original essays from a wide spectrum of Christian leaders sharing their insights on the cross. The book shares the same name as the program, What the Cross Means to Me, by Harvest House Publishers. Each week we read one of the essays and ponder the wider meaning of the cross through the lens of Scripture. This week's essay is The Heart of God by Erwin Lutzer. Dr. Erwin W. Lutzer is an author and was the pastor of the Moody Church where he served as senior pastor for over 40 years. And with that, let us begin the essay, The Heart of God. Does God care about this world? I believe that this question can best be answered by taking a long look at the cross. Golgotha is God's farthest reach. There he came down to our side of the chasm to rescue us from ourselves. There, darkness turned to light. Hopelessness became the basis of our hope. The cross opens a window into the heart of God and gives us the assurance that, yes, he did save us from our sins. Never shall the cross be so precious to us as when death is near. For if we have embraced the Christ who hung there for us, we shall never really die. For he died not merely for our sins, and not merely that our sins would be taken away, but to prove that death does not have the last word for those who have faith in the one who himself conquered it. To sing, I will cherish the old rugged cross, is not simply an exercise in sentimentality, but an expression of Christian's deepest longings. The cross divides the human race in two. Without it, we will perish forever. With it, we are guaranteed eternal life forever. That concludes the essay, The Heart of God, by Dr. Erwin Lutzer. And the image For this essay is called 
the dawn. I chose this image inspired by Luke 1, verse 78, which says, Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven. Meaning, the grace of God is new every morning. Every new day brings the possibility of blessing and right relationship with God. Asking God to walk with you on the road to righteousness and evangelization to bring in new souls to the kingdom of heaven. Now there's an inspirational poem connected to this essay by G. Campbell Morgan, which says, Nobody who has truly seen the cross of Christ can ever speak of hopeless causes. For me to fully share what I took from this essay, I had to consider two of the key words in the title, The Heart of God. The first was, what does the word God mean? And what does the word heart mean? Especially in regards to the question, if God has a heart, literally and or figuratively. We could consider from a technical perspective, according to Wikipedia, which I don't rely on, but I'm just making a point. It says God is a monotheistic being and is conceived of as a supreme being, a creator, and a principal object of faith. God is usually conceived of as omnipotent, which is all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing, omnipresent, all-present, and omnibenevolent, which is all-good, as well as having eternal, and necessary existence. God is most often held to be incorporeal, which is immaterial, and God's incorporeality, meaning does he not have a body or does he have a body, is related to the conceptions of God's transcendence being outside of nature, or immanence being in nature, and some religions describe God without reference to gender, while others use terminology that is gender-specific and gender-biased. In both modern Western and Eastern rites, God is usually referred to as male and primarily a paternalistic fatherly being. That ends the Wikipedia secular view of God, I guess you could say. Some of us believe that God is all of these things all at once. According to Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, God is defined as the being, capital B, perfect in power, wisdom, and goodness, who is worshipped, as in Judaism, Christianity, Islam, and Hinduism, as creator and ruler of the universe. Throughout the patristic and medieval periods, Christian theologians taught that God created the universe. Or, less commonly, God as being small g or object that is worshipped as having more than natural attributes and powers. Specifically, one controlling a particular aspect or part of reality. 
I guess a good analogy would be when someone would say the Greek gods of love and war. It is also defined as a person or thing of supreme value, meaning when someone refers to a rock god or makes a poster of a, of a musician and calls it a rock god. Or also, it could be described as a powerful ruler. When they would say something like, the Hollywood gods that control the fate of our movies. All that said, the dictionary provides an example as a verb, as in to treat as a god, to idolize or deify. And there are, however, many other ways to look at what or who God is, less technical, and some would say more important. Originally, the Hebrews referred to this entity they learned of through Abraham as Yahweh or Yehovah, but more rightly refined through Moses as I am. As in, I am that I am. They seem to have it best as their word was plural and neutered, as in Elohim. However, during the translation of that first King James Version, the word, the word or the term Lord was applied. Now, this is a medieval description of the concept of a benevolent leader in a feudalistic system that developed in the greater European region in the Middle Ages. It means the Lord or the Lord and his lady, the Lord and his wife, that were responsible for the well-being of everyone living in the region that the Lord was entrusted to. One aspect of most Lord systems was that they were responsible for gathering the wheat and the making of the bread for their subjects. On a side note, you can look up analogies of our lives being like a journey of a stalk of wheat being turned into flour and ultimately into bread. It's amazing. But the point for this devotional is that our perception of God is influenced by historical and societal forces. For example, entire philosophical constructs were developed from one question about who or what God is. In an extra-biblical book, Uriel, the angel, asks Ezra, you cannot understand the things with which you have grown up. How then can your mind comprehend the way of the Most High? And how can one who is already worn out by the corrupt world understand incorruption? Some philosophies of God are negative. Like, why is it that a loving God would allow suffering in this world? One huge construct is around the intense pain that a caterpillar goes through to become a butterfly. Some say a loving God would never have designed such a creature whose main DNA encoding involves that level of pain. But guess what? Scientists have discovered that if you assist the emerging butterfly escape the cocoon, for example, by cutting open a portion of the cocoon for them to get out, and while they may emerge in less pain, looking like a butterfly, it will never fly. The little bit of kindness actually dooms the creature to an early death. So even in philosophical discussions, there could be opposing perceptions. 
And I can list several negative definitions of what God may be and a number of positive definitions about what or who God is. And some of them may resonate with you, but I doubt all of them will. Why? Because not all of them came or come from one person. Each of them come from someone raised in a certain family, in a particular denomination, or a particular congregation, or in a particular neighborhood with certain neighbors, in a certain state or a certain country, speaking a specific dialect of a certain language. I have my definitions I could share, but they may not resonate with you because they're personal to me. The bottom line is that definitions of God are very personal to each of us. From those of you who read the book, What the Cross Means to Me, specifically my introductory essay, you remember that I call out my friend and roommate at the time, Jimmy, who was the one that introduced me to that ridge that the cross was on. The first night that we chilled out on that section of the hill, well past sunset, on a south-facing section, we were philosophizing about lots of topics. And when the subject of God came up, he posed a question that was so profound it will stay with me the rest of my life. Jimmy asked, can anyone, can any one person credibly say that they know, that they truly understand the entire internet? That they understand all of the websites with all the various pages? We're talking millions of web pages. There's some that are just set up as a blog. And then there's podcasting. And then, I mean, how can anyone say that they know the internet? Even a government. Can any one government say they know everything about every aspect of the internet? And even if someone could, as soon as they declare that, there will have been new websites published with new pages published. It's ever-growing. So no, no one can adequately or accurately say that they definitely know the internet. With this paradigm in mind, how can any of us say that he or she knows God or everything about God? If God made this world and universe, it implies that God existed before the Big Bang. How can any of us, even the world's top physicists, say that they know anything about what was before the beginning of the universe. And so, when I say, how can anyone know about God, I point to our naivete about his creation and the ever-expanding universe. And what about dark matter? And not to be conflated with dark energy, no one has any idea of what it is or its role in the rest of the universe. The point is, we should be humble and simply admit that we do not know. And what we do know is personal to us, based on many factors we grew up through. So what do I say? I say we look to his divinely inspired word, the written book that was inspired by God the Bible, to learn about God. This Bible is referred to as the Word of God for a reason. 
In other words, let's seek understanding from the Creator's own mouth, for lack of a better phrase. Jesus almost always referred to God as His Father. Many of us pray to our Heavenly Father, and some denominations refer to their pastors as a father, especially Catholicism. But it also begs the question, what if no one had a father, or a father figure, or worse, had a really bad father? This can filter how one defines father when they refer to or pray to God. Yes, it can, but it is what it is. I still refer to God as my father in my public and personal prayers, even though my father was a heroin addict and a transient who lived on the streets and was chemically dependent for 30-plus years, never to be free from his demons until he actually passed away. I'll spare you the details, but it wasn't a a great role model by any stretch. I choose how to respond to God's presence in my life. I choose to love him. But the point is here, how does it lead you to understand what the heart of God is? How does the Bible lead you to understand what the heart of God is? Many of us have one image of who God is, filtered by our personal experiences, which means we need to meditate through reading the Bible, contemplating upon it, and praying, asking the Holy Spirit to illuminate its meaning for us. And if we continue over time, It helps illuminate what your unique perspective of who God is, is. And for you, you need to be having a healthy meaning of who God is. You can begin to meditate on what the heart of God means to you. And be careful and to be balanced. Your meditation should be after you have enjoyed a healthy diet of the Bible, meaning Don't rely only on your personal experience, but may be grounded in the Word of God. This helps us to obtain a nice balance between the contrast of head knowledge and heart knowledge. So for me, I find I often contemplate the friendship God had with Adam and Eve before the fall, and then to consider the key covenants God made with mankind, leading up to him sacrificing his only son. Yes, every covenant God made with man shows how great his love is to protect believers and point believers from the cross through to the worst tribulation period to come, points to the cross and protects us from now till the end of time to the tribulation period because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Now, each one of these covenants have symbolism pointing to Jesus. I'll let you study each of them to make that connection, but trust me, the first one is the Noahic, or the covenant of Noah, or with Noah, the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the covenant with Moses, the priestly covenant, covenant made with with the priests of the Hebrews, the Davidic covenant, the covenant with King David, 
And finally, ultimately, the new covenant. All of them were leading to the cross. Or we could consider the mystery of the Trinity. The Bible infers that God is transcendent. He needs nothing to be fulfilled. If God is love, and love is selfless, and if God is selfless, and yet God needs nothing but himself, how can he be loving and transcend all at once? That is the Trinity. As St. Bonaventure put it, within the Trinity there is one God, a plurality of persons, and from all eternity and for all eternity, God was loving someone other than himself within himself, Selah. If God is love, does he have to create to love? Or did he choose to because God has someone to love other than himself inside himself? Did he have to? Selah, do you really understand this? I do not. I do not totally understand it other than to admit it is a mystery and to accept that God is big. And if you read the word of God, that means love is big. St. Bonaventure also said that God is the sphere, the center of which is everywhere, and the circumference, nowhere. How can I ever get my head around that? I can't, but my heart can accept it. It jolts us into a paradox, which is what? A paradox is an apparent contradiction which speaks to a deeper truth, which takes us to deeper truths. The essence of God is a mystery, a mystery that leads to acceptance. An acceptance of what Erwin Lutzer said in his essay that he submitted for this book. Meaning not trying to fully understand an accurate definition of God or the heart of God, but an acceptance of Lutzer's perception that it is the cross that opens a window into the heart of God. One huge differentiator of the Jewish and Christian perspective of God coming to and for us, meaning Many religions teach how one can attain enlightenment or oneness or obtain acceptance by God by certain steps or actions or a journey to God in a certain direction towards heaven. Yet the Judeo-Christian perspective teaches that while we were separated from the friendship and right relationship with God that Adam and Eve allowed to, to be destroyed with that bite of the fruit of the tree of knowledge— God longs to restore that right relationship by closing the huge gap, by bringing together that, closing that huge chasm between us. God's heart longed for this so much that he provided a way to bridge that gap through the sacrifice of his only son on the cross. As I mentioned in my essay in the book, What the Cross Means to Me, the first essay, the cross was the bridge that led me from despair to deliverance, and was my bridge from death to life. In other words, God loves us so much that he leaves it to us to love him or not. He doesn't force it on us. He gives us that choice because he loves us so much. In other words, I can choose to stay on my side of the chasm, or I can realize and accept that God's heart is reaching out from as far back as the fall of man in the Garden of Eden out and to me through the cross. And if I choose, I can cross over, not only into eternal life, but into right relationship and communion with God now, today. This is what I think 
Edwin Lutz was trying to say. 1 Corinthians 1.18 The cross is foolishness to those who perish, but for us it has become the wisdom of God. Or in my opinion, it has become the heart of God. If you are a believer but have been struggling, allow me to encourage you to let go and stay on the bridge of the cross, to choose to stay in his light and under the shadow of his wings. And if you have never known the love of God, look and see that the heart of God has come to you through the cross and choose today to cross over the bridge God has laid for you to walk into his light and into his love. Just reach out in prayer and ask him to save you today. Simply as my mom did when she was in the grip of a heroin addiction. For those of you who don't know, she was using heroin when she got pregnant with me at 15. She tried to find an abortion provider, but this was before Roe v. Wade. So not having means to get out of the country, she resigned herself to have me. I am thankful that she was able to stop her heroin addiction while she had me in in her womb, but I've been told she still smoked. Thankfully, it It seems to not have affected me too much, but it is what it is. My point is, after she had me, she went back to that same life and was a heroin addict till about when I was maybe four and a half. Things got so bad that the state took me away from her, um, accelerated by how her heroin-dealing boyfriend uh, beat me so bad that I went to the hospital and he went to prison. The point is, she had now hit rock bottom. She had lost her son. She had lost everything. And she reached out to God in prayer and asked that simple, simple question. God, if you are real, then change me. And he did. That day, without methadone or any kind of drugs, like, you know, drugs that help you wean off heroin, she quit doing drugs. She quit doing smoking. Supposedly, her foul mouth changed to a godly perspective. My point is, it was a radical, miraculous conversion. She was a woman of God ever since. And that can happen for you as well. If you haven't asked Jesus into your heart, realize that the heart of God longs for you. All you need to do is accept the sacrifice of his son, Jesus, for you. Ask him to forgive you of your sins and heal the wounded parts of your heart today. And with that, Go in grace, and may God keep you in his perfect peace. Thanks for listening to What the Cross Means to Me devotional program heard every week here on KKXX Life Radio. If you'd like to view the image discussed, the dawn, or learn about how your church or youth group can fundraise or your school can fundraise through the Magi Cross products, or to donate to the Magic Cross ministry, then log on to magicross.com. That is M-A-J-I-C-R-O-S-S dot com. <laughs>